If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Tennessee. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Twenty-one-year-old Jennifer Wicks grew up in what a small town would consider a small town. Cross Plains is a whopping 8.5 square miles with a population of about 1,800 people. 1,800 sounds like a big number when you're talking about money, but to put this into perspective, I had more people in my high school than there were people in this entire town. My point here is that you can't sneeze there without someone else knowing about it, but somehow two people have gone missing and no one seems to know a thing. When Jennifer Wicks was 19, she gave birth to a perfect little baby girl. Enter Adriana. For Jennifer, it was like having a mini version of herself around at all times. The relationship between Jennifer and Adriana's father didn't work out, but that didn't stop her from being the best mother that she could be. From birth, Jennifer started sharing her love of animals with her daughter, and the zoo was one of their favorite places to go. Adriana might have been too young to understand what the zoo was, but if she was anything like her mother, she felt connected to the wildlife there. Wherever Jennifer went, little Adriana and her big, beautiful smile was right by her side, and their bond was unbreakable. In 2003, Jennifer started dating a guy named Joey. They'd gone to high school together, but only connected romantically after. According to a user on Reddit who says she went to high school with Joey, he played baseball, kept to himself, and got good grades. But it seems like something might have changed because after high school, this classmate says that he got into some more wild things, including partying and other stuff. Regardless of Joey's newfound hobbies, Bella Rose 1994 on YouTube reports that Jennifer told her mom, Kathy, that she'd found her prince. However, this fairy tale romance was anything but. It was an on-again, off-again battle. The relationship wasn't healthy, there was arguing, and there were some reports of some pretty scary things happening. But since I can't validate them through police reports, I won't mention them, but they're really fucked up. So fucked up that Kathy actually left her job in another state to move back home and be closer to her daughter and granddaughter. Regardless of the constant turmoil in the relationship, though, Jennifer would always go back. And like we've talked about in previous episodes where there's elements of an unhealthy relationship, I want to challenge everyone not to ask the question, well, why did she keep going back? 
Relationships like Jennifer's are mentally and emotionally complicated, and it's just not that simple. It never is. In August of 2003, Jennifer decided that she and Adriana, who was one and a half at the time, would move in with Joey on his family's enormous multi-acre family compound. The problem, though, was that the building Joey lived in on the compound was a barn. According to locals, it didn't so much as have heat or running water. It doesn't look like that move lasted too long, though, because by December, Jennifer had moved in with her mother, who was now living in an apartment nearby. It might have been a tight squeeze, but her mother couldn't have been happier. Her daughter and granddaughter were safe, and they had everything they needed. But, like in so many situations like this one, Joey wanted Jennifer back. Frankly, without going into details that, again, I can't because of a lack of corroborating police reports, Joey demanded Jennifer back. And though his demands were horrifying, they worked. And that's something Kathy struggles with to this day. By the end of December, just before Christmas, Jennifer and Adriana were back in the barn on Joey's family compound, and this time it sounds like Joey might have been trying to compensate for his past transgressions. According to a post by someone claiming to be his mother on an old topics forum, Joey built Adriana a playhouse and a rocking horse for Christmas that year. As lovely as that all sounds, the telltale signs of a tragic relationship started to unravel. Jennifer cut herself off from her friends. She wasn't working. She didn't have a car and she didn't have a cell phone. Her and Adriana's isolation was in full effect. While Jennifer still had her mother close by, she had to rely on Joey and his family for almost everything she and her daughter needed. The following month, Adriana turned two and had a birthday party at the family compound. Jennifer's family attended, knowing that they needed to tolerate the relationship to maintain their bond and frequent communication with the girls, but they weren't particularly happy about it. However, Jennifer needed to know that she had people who loved her who she could confide in and who she could run to if and when she ever wanted to. Later that month, the barn, being a barn, got too cold for anyone to live in. The lows at night were in the teens, and it was frankly unbearable, so they packed up what little they had and moved into Joey's parents' house on the property. That move seemed to only fuel issues within the relationship, and according to that same Topics poster claiming to be Joey's mom, Jennifer and Joey started to argue about something new. According to that post, Jennifer wanted to move back into the barn regardless of the cold and lack of running water because she didn't get along with his parents. You have to wonder what was so bad in that house that Jennifer would rather live in a freezing barn with the man she'd run away from before than live in that house with him and his family. A couple of months go by, and on Wednesday, March 24th, 2004, Crime and Justice reports that Jennifer called her mom from Joey's cell phone. She was really upset about an argument that she'd just had with Joey. According to Voices for Missing, her mother could hear Adriana crying in the background. Jennifer's mother told her that she would drop everything right then and there and come and get her and the baby, but Crime and Justice reports that Jennifer told her that she could handle the situation and that she was just going to go to bed and she'd call her in the morning. Jennifer didn't call her mom the next morning, but she did call her father and her aunt. At around 11 a.m. on Tuesday, Tennessee Missing and Unsolved reports that Jennifer called her father and confided in him about the issues she was having with Joey's family. They talked for a while, and Jennifer ended the conversation by telling her dad that she was looking forward to seeing him on Sunday. 
A couple hours later, around 1 p.m., she called her aunt, her mother's sister, and confided in her about the same problems. A woman claiming to be this aunt posted on Topics, saying that while she was on the phone with Jennifer that day, Jennifer told her that she was home alone with Joey's dad and that she was afraid to come out of her room. According to that post, that call reportedly ended by Jennifer saying that she'd call her aunt back in a few minutes, but that call never came. In fact, no calls ever came from Jennifer ever again. Kathy never got that call that she was supposed to get on Thursday, and by Friday, her mother's intuition knew that something wasn't right. She told the Smoky Barn News that as soon as she got off work, she tried getting in contact with Jennifer every way she knew how, but she couldn't. Jennifer was particularly close with her grandmother, so Kathy tried to see if she knew where Jennifer was, but she too hadn't heard from her. Out of all the family members and friends that Jennifer's mom contacted to see if they'd heard from Jennifer since that 1 p.m. call to her aunt the previous day, not a single person had seen or spoken to her. That is until Kathy was able to get in touch with Joey. Joey told her that he and Jennifer had gotten into an argument the previous night and that she'd asked him to take her to a nearby gas station off of I-65 and exit 112. Blue Crime Hunter reports that Joey told Kathy that Jennifer had asked him to leave the gas station, but instead he'd pulled across the street to wait and make sure she was meeting someone there, and says that when he saw her get into the back of a white four-door vehicle with someone he didn't know, he drove off. The entire thing seemed odd. Joey had demanded Jennifer get back with him just shy of four months prior to this, and she'd complied. Jennifer had no phone of her own, so how did she arrange these plans to meet with this person that she somehow knew, but Joey didn't? She'd pretty much cut herself off from the outside world aside from her family. If she was going to go somewhere or have someone pick her up, surely it would have been her mother or father or aunt or grandmother, right? Kathy was floating in a sea of red flags at this point and started driving around anywhere and everywhere she could think of that Jennifer and Adriana might be, but she didn't find them anywhere. By Saturday afternoon, she didn't know where else to look and Jennifer hadn't shown up for her scheduled weekend visit, so she knew it was time to get the police involved. Kathy contacted the Robertson County Sheriff's Department and officially reported 21-year-old Jennifer and 2-year-old Adriana missing. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. The Hendersonville Standard reports that deputies initially went over to Joey's family compound and did a welfare check for the girls. From what I can find, it was similar to the walkthrough we saw in the Savannah LaFontaine-Graywin case. They just kind of looked around for her, but without any probable cause for a warrant, there wasn't much searching they could do. 
While executing the welfare check, deputies asked Joey about Jennifer, and this time, the outlet reports Joey told them that he and Jennifer had broken up, which is new information because that certainly wasn't included in the story he'd given Kathy the night before. He told deputies the same song and dance about dropping both of the girls off at the gas station around 9.30 p.m. on Thursday night, but this time, he couldn't remember which one it was. But according to a local, there were only two whole gas stations in Cross Plains at the time of Jennifer and Adriana's disappearance. It seems odd that he wouldn't be able to recall which of the two gas stations he dropped them off at, especially considering the fact that he'd been pretty clear to Kathy about which one it was the night before. But the stories kept coming and they kept changing. According to WKRN, he'd also said that Jennifer had asked him to take her to a grocery store that night so she could use the phone. Why would she need to go to a grocery store to use a phone? She was regularly in touch with her family through Joey's phone, and Joey was reportedly the one driving her there. So again, why would she need to go to a grocery store to use a phone? The grocery store story seems to tie into the timeline on the way to the gas station, so we round back out to his reported drop-off watch and pickup. Joey now claims to have a description of the vehicle he says Jennifer got into. According to Tennessee Missing and Unsolved, he said it was a 90s model four-door either Mustang or Camaro. The problem here is that Mustangs didn't have four doors back then, and neither did Camaros, which took a huge dump on his entire story. How did he see her get into the back of one if it didn't have any back doors? Sure, she could have asked the people in the front to get out so she could slide the seat forward and get into the back, but then you'd assume that he'd have a description of the person who got out. If she got into the back passenger side and there just so happened to be no one in the passenger seat to have to get out, then you have to ask the question, why was she getting into the back seat? Bella Rose 1994 on YouTube noted that Joey eventually changed the model of the car he'd seen to a Grand Prix after everyone reminded him that Mustangs and Camaros don't have four doors. But at this point, all the four-door theory was doing was getting side-eyed. As the questioning continued, Joey surprised everyone when he told deputies that he'd actually seen Jennifer after dropping her off at the gas station. WKRN reports that Joey told them that Jennifer had actually come back to the compound the following day, Friday, and said that she was driving the same white car that he'd had so much trouble IDing, but she was alone. Adriana wasn't with her. He says she came by saying she needed some time away and wanted to grab some of her stuff and get her tax return money. And this is where things get even weirder. Joey said that Jennifer couldn't get her tax return money because his mom wasn't home, but that she could come back the next day, Saturday, to come back and get it. According to him, she said she would, but she never did. If you're anything like me, you're wondering why in the Fruity Pebble fuck she would have to get her tax return money from his mom. I mean, it either direct deposits into your account or they send you a check and you cash it. But as it turns out, not only did Jennifer not have a cell phone or a vehicle, she also didn't have a bank account, so she decided to have her tax return deposited into Joey's family's account. According to a source close to the family who posted on WebSluice, that tax return was never returned to Jennifer or her family. 
Police tried to follow any and all of the leads that Joey had given them, but none of them panned out. You'd think that there would certainly be CCTV footage of Joey and Jennifer at any of the places he claims to have taken her or dropped her off at Thursday night, but it seems that there isn't any. That gas station off of I-65 has a little road that wraps around the back where truckers can pull off the interstate and park and rest for the night. And according to a local who posted on Reddit, that's where she claims Joey dropped Jennifer off at, which, as she says, wasn't covered by the store's security cameras. Who would drop off a 21-year-old and a 2-year-old in a trucking area when there is a perfectly good, well-lit store to drop them off at just yards away? By Monday, March 29th, deputies were talking to Joey again, and this time, a new story emerged. This time, Jennifer wasn't mad at him when she asked to leave. No, this wasn't about their argument anymore. His new story was that Jennifer was actually mad at her mother, claiming that Kathy had threatened to take Adriana away from her. Kathy is adamant that this accusation isn't true. She'd previously told Jennifer that she didn't think Joey's family compound was an appropriate place for Adriana, but that was back when Jennifer was talking about moving into his barn. I think any mother would give that advice, but in the end, Jennifer moved in and that was the end of it. Kathy made her opinion known back then, but ever since, she'd been a line of love and support for Jennifer, making sure that she knew her mother was there for her if she ever decided to leave. And if we're to believe that Joey's telling the truth when it comes to any of his accounts, let's break this down. Okay, so if they got into an argument, do we really believe that he's going to give her a ride to a random gas station to meet up with someone he doesn't know? If they broke up, again, do we think he's giving her a ride to a grocery store to use their phone and then dropping them off the gas station again to meet up with someone he doesn't know? And if she was so upset at her mom for threatening to take Adriana away, do we think he was like, oh yeah, that's bullshit, let me get you a ride to this gas station so you can run off with some stranger? According to Kathy's post on WebSleuths, the only concern she ever had for Adriana's welfare was Joey. So if Jennifer was concerned about her mother threatening to take Adriana away, which again, Kathy denies ever happened, the solution would simply be to leave him. What she'd done before and Jennifer knew she was always welcome to move back in with her mom. So the whole runoff with an elusive stranger in a mystical white four-door sedan seems unlikely. A user on Topics claiming to be Joey's father said that on the 30th, police brought out cadaver dogs. From what I've been able to find, this search on their property was an incomplete search, meaning it was only specific areas of the property, and it was a consent search, meaning they didn't have a warrant. I have to wonder why cadaver dogs would have been sent out so early in a missing persons case when there wasn't even enough probable cause to get an actual search warrant. Scent tracking dogs would make sense. I mean, after all, this was just a missing persons case, not a homicide investigation. But either way, it looks like nothing was found. In April, another Topics user said that the TBI had come in and taken Joey's family's computer and apparently gave Joey a polygraph test, which they claim he passed. None of this can be confirmed, but with so much of the information in this case coming from friends, family, and locals on internet forums about the disappearances, it feels like it should be mentioned. Yeah! 
You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. In the days following the girls' disappearance, Joey's family seemed to move on with their lives, while Jennifer's family seemed to be frozen in time. The Hendersonville Standard reports that Joey and his family continued building a new home on their compound, including the installation of a new septic tank. And that local on Reddit who says she went to high school with Joey posted that he'd had a party just days after Jennifer and Adriana went missing, which included a fire. She also posted that she'd run into him at a concert within a week of her disappearances and said that he'd actually called her and her date over and seemed to act like nothing had happened. The classmate said that she was so creeped out that they actually wound up leaving the concert. Meanwhile, Kathy was spending every single second of her spare time searching for her daughter and granddaughter, putting up flyers, and even talking to psychics to see if they could offer any glimmer of hope. Two families who you'd think would both be beside themselves with worry were living in very different worlds. According to the Vanished podcast, two or three weeks after the girl's disappearance, Joey dropped off six trash bags full of Jennifer and Adriana's belongings to Kathy. One of those items was Adriana's winter coat. The temperature the month the girls went missing teetered between 28 degrees and 80 degrees. It wasn't the kind of weather where you'd be ready to put your coat away. And it was at that moment that Kathy knew more than ever that her daughter and granddaughter weren't just missing. Joey had said that Jennifer came by alone on Friday to get some of her things in her tax return. We know she never got her tax return, but now it's looking like she didn't take anything else with her either. Kathy posted to WebSleuths that Jennifer's wallet, Adriana's car seat, her diaper bag, and Jennifer's journals were never returned. According to Kathy, Jennifer used to write poems and journal about her feelings. I mean, it was pretty much her only outlet at that point in her life, and not a single one of her journals or writings has ever been found. In the next few months, crime and justice reports that flyers continued to go up. The sheriff's department interviewed multiple people who knew Jennifer. Her family hired a private investigator and a $15,000 reward was posted for any information leading to the recovery of Jennifer and Adriana. But nothing. There was nothing. An entire year passed and it felt like detectives were no closer to finding the girls than they were the day Kathy reported them missing. A billboard went up, their story was aired in a segment on America's Most Wanted, and their case was featured on the Montel Williams show, but still nothing. This was national media attention on cable TV, and not a single soul was speaking up. By the two-year anniversary of Jennifer and Adriana's disappearance, Tennessee Missing and Unsolved reported that Joey's family's compound had been searched four times and a pond had even been drained. But again, from what I can find, those searches were only partial searches of the property and all by consent. 
With two years having gone by, all searching still seemed to be focused in one direction, but for some reason there just didn't seem to be enough probable cause for them to get a full-blown search warrant. That being said, Tennessee Missing and Unsolved quoted law enforcement as saying no one, including Joey, had been eliminated as a suspect. In 2010, six years after the girls went missing, Kathy told WSMV that this was the last year she was going to put up flyers. Not because she was giving up, but because every single day she was reopening her wounds. She spoke with Voice for the Missing and said something that put having a missing child and grandchild into a perspective that I don't think anyone could ever hear and not feel in their soul. She told them, Have you ever had a child hide under the clothing rack in a store, run ahead of you towards traffic, or have their school bus run late bringing them home? Imagine that feeling that you had then as the feeling you have every day, from the time you open your eyes until you're finally able to close them at night. Kathy has had to live with that feeling every second of every day since March of 2004, and it wasn't just affecting her anymore. It was affecting everyone else in the family. Kathy's other children felt like they hadn't just lost their sister and their niece, but they were losing their mother too. And while it seemed like maybe things were about to slow down, a user on WebSleuth, this case was heavily discussed on online forums, posted that they were a member of a gaming website and that another woman on the site had said that there was a girl at her apartment complex all the way out in Washington that looked exactly like Adriana. Adriana would have been eight at this point. The woman said that she'd asked the girl what her birthday was, but said that the girl was very vague about it and told her that she moved around a lot. There was this tiny glimmer of hope against all odds that maybe this was Adriana, that maybe Jennifer had run and they'd finally been found. But this tip was looked into and that little girl at the apartment complex in Washington was not Adriana. Another Three years passed, marking almost seven years since Jennifer and Adriana vanished into thin air. And then there was a press conference. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. At this press conference, the Robertson County Sheriff's Department announced that after receiving new information in the past several weeks, they do believe that foul play was involved, and they reclassified the girl's case from a missing persons investigation to a homicide investigation. It doesn't look like Kathy was ever told what that information was, but finally, it seemed like law enforcement was catching up to what everyone else believed had happened since day one. I have to wonder, though, if it had anything to do with some changes of power around the department just before this was announced. The sheriff's department said that they're convinced that there are people out there who know what happened but are afraid to come forward, so they set up a confidential hotline hoping that someone might finally feel comfortable saying something. 
This reclassification from missing to murdered seemed to somehow come out of left field for some and ruffle the feathers of some others. The Tennessean reports that Joey's mom said the last time investigators asked to search their property had been several years prior and that they'd refused the search. I don't know if that was supposed to help any suspicions, but I don't think it did. The Hendersonville Standard report that the TBI got involved and pulled Kathy's nephew out of work to re-interview him, which apparently really upset her sister. But he was really close with Joey at the time of the girl's disappearance, and this wasn't the first time he'd raised some eyebrows. The outlet reports that back when Jennifer's family hired that P.I., he apparently reached out to Kathy's nephew, who told the P.I. to stay away from him. Kathy told the outlet that she and her sister haven't spoken since. I wish I could tell you that the reclassification, the new whispers around town, and the new tip line resulted in any major breaks in the case, but it didn't. So in 2014, News Channel 5 reported that the entire governor issued a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a conviction, making the total reward for information $27,000 thousand dollars. If someone was holding back, maybe $27,000 would be enough incentive to talk and run. Jennifer and Adriana's social security numbers were flagged when they were reported missing, and to this day, nothing has ever popped up. No applications for public assistance, no applications for driver's licenses, no applications for health insurance, no attempts to open a bank account, no trips to the doctor, no tax returns have been filed, nothing. And the secrets of what happened on March 25th of 2004 lie somewhere in Cross Plains, Tennessee. If you have any information about the disappearance of Jennifer and Adriana Wicks, please contact the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 615-744-4000. It has been 17 years. Jennifer and Adriana's family deserve answers, and these two innocent lives deserve justice. For all photos and maps pertaining to Adriana's case, check out their highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about their case. Special thank you to everyone who handled my froggy voice today. I'm still getting over that cold. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Find- 
$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 